You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. This story is a mix between what the police report said, what my ex-girlfriend said, and a very little bit that I remember of the night. My guest today is named Frank She. He is the founder of Juggalos in Recovery. Welcome to the show, Frank. So, my name is Frank, and I am an alcoholic. I've identified, since I've been sober, I've identified myself as an addict in general. But I got sober with AA in 2013, my sobriety date is July 5th of 2013. I had a pretty interesting childhood, to say the least. My biological father, he was an alcoholic and an addict. From what he's told me, he did a lot of cocaine. Um, He got sober when I was born, and then he's been off of drugs for... 15 years or something like that. Um, My mother was also an alcoholic. So was my grandfather and a lot of my family. She was diagnosed with schizophrenia in the 90s. And in the 90s, because mental health was not a, um, was pretty new to getting diagnosed with things, bipolar was very commonly misdiagnosed as a schizophrenic. Um, so her medicine ended up messing with her quite a lot, um, where she would end up sleeping all day. She also was, uh, suffered from a really bad, uh, depression. So I was basically, for lack of a a better statement, I was basically dealing with living by myself with my mother laying in bed all day. I remember I came home from school from first grade. And I ended up having to find a way to kick in the door um, because my mother slept all day and she never woke up to her an alarm. I lived with my mother till I was eight and a half. And then her brother and his wife uh, ended up adopting me. They had already adopted my little brother about two years earlier. And when I moved in with them, uh my whole life had changed um and not for the better to say the least uh i was mentally emotionally physically abused in that house uh my emotional growth had stopped and it just it ended up being me moving into that house ended up being the core of many many things that i found out in my sobriety that I held in for so long that ended up causing me to be an addict and and it just, it just completely changed my life. But with that being said, I got sober in Illinois. I live in New Mexico now. I work on airplanes for a living. I'm actually currently in Africa. Uh, I'm deployed until sometime next year. I love doing this job. The only thing I don't like about it is being away from my family, but it's part of the job and I'm working to have a job in the States. I'm working on a a couple different leads. 
I'm actually starting two businesses right now. The business I'm focusing on is um, the, uh, a recovery group. It's called Jugglers and Recovery, and basically, the way I'm working the the group is there is no one set program that you have to follow. Uh, on the website, it's I have links to all of the anonymous groups. I have some links to mental and emotional health sites, programs that they can get into so they have better control over their emotions. But what I focus on when it comes to helping others is one thing I've noticed in a lot of addicts in general is their emotional health is a big cause in why they're an addict. So that's what I tend to focus on when it comes to helping other addicts. And that's where my group is going towards more focusing on the mental and emotional health and strength and just learning more on how to deal with things that we were never taught or never truly understood how to deal with as we were growing up. How did you become a juggalo or how did you get into ICP and then how does all that fit into the recovery piece? I was in the military. I was stationed up in Alaska and one of my friends from back home has said, hey, go listen to this song. And when I listened to it, uh, I was hooked right from the get-go. And then I found out a buddy that I worked with down the hallway in the dorm that I was in. Uh, he was an ICP fan, too, and he let me borrow one of his CDs. And I listened to that CD on repeat for probably about a week straight. And uh, I started buying CDs and doing research and you know, trying to understand the history of where all of this came from and everything. If your followers don't know, ICP, the Insane Clown Posse, is a very unique rap duo. Uh, they, their genre is hardcore rap, and a lot of their lyrics are very in-your-face about murder and all kinds of violent stuff, and just their delivery. It they are one, in my personal opinion, they're one of the best storyteller rap duos out there from my experience one thing a lot of people don't understand about icp's music is there's there's usually a subliminal message in their music and what they're talking about one of their examples that's kind of more in your face than the rest they have a song called uh, halls of illusions and it's basically it's a story where it's a carnival ride and they're taking this guy into it and showing him what his life could have been if he wasn't an abusive alcoholic. And so they show him the good side on, you know, if you didn't beat your wife and, you know, hurt your kids and all this stuff, you would, ha your kids would be, you know, well off and they would be in college and your wife would be happy. And then, the next room in this uh, carnival ride is, oh, now they're crackheads and your wife has got two black eyes. And the, the storytelling of it is amazing. And basically all that's trying to point out to the people listening to the music is it's your choice on whether you're going to live in a fantasy of, oh, well, my life is good when it's really not. Or you're going to make the decision to make your life as good as possible. 
so part of my recovery group is I've actually started going through and deciphering a lot of ICP's music so it relates to recovery and sobriety. And I I ended up getting into really into Juggalos, uh, ICP and Juggalos and that whole community um, in 2007. Yeah, 2017, I went to my first gathering. They have the gathering of the Juggalos every year. And it's a four to five day music festival of just concerts and games and shows. It's just all, it's just a music festival and it's amazing. And I, I went to the gathering sober and I actually held my first Juggalos and Recovery meeting at this gathering, at my first gathering. And I was kind of worried, not knowing how people were going to accept me or whatever. And I got there and I started started setting up my tent in my little campsite area and immediately I was accepted into the community. I they none of these people have ever met me before in my life and they just they welcomed me with open arms. It's a, an amazing love in this community and respect and acceptance. And then over the the following four days I had been asked if I wanted drugs or alcohol, and my response to it was, uh, no, thank you, I'm a recovering addict. And the most amazing thing happened when I said that. The people who offered me something told me, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. So these people offering, you know, these drug dealers and these people drinking and offered me something, and then they apologized to me for offering it just blew my mind like where would you in the world would you ever get that amount of respect from anybody else especially at a m- music festival that's known for their drugs and alcohol like you go to any music festival it's always going to be there yeah that was kind of where i was going with that question i'm not too familiar with the juggalo culture and stuff but i did watch the american juggalo documentary and it seemed like one of the main focuses on at least on the documentary, was how the whole thing was just like a huge party, everybody's drinking, everybody's smoking. You know, it seemed like that was kind of one of the big aspects of the gathering was a big party. So I was really curious how that works with you trying to have recovery meetings at this festival and what looks like a large percentage of the people there are are there to listen to music and, and get high. The gathering is just a big old party, but the one difference between that I've seen and I haven't really, honestly, I've never really gone to any other music festival, so I'm kind of biased on the subject. But in my opinion, I've in this scene in this community, um, there's a lot more love and acceptance than I've heard about in any other type of festival like this. Again, like I've never I've never been to another festival or anything like like the gathering of the juggalos. So I don't I don't really know firsthand, but I've never really heard stories like this from them. Another thing is ICP is two rappers, Violent J and Shaggy Two Dope. Violent J's brother, Jump Steady, he actually sets up the gathering he books all the talent he makes the schedule he's he deal he makes the gathering what it is 
and he is 100% straight edge. So he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't do any drugs, no nothing, which I find, especially in this day and age, quite impressive. Um, another thing I found out is Shaggy Tudo is a recovering alcoholic. That first gathering I went to, I had made flyers for Juggalos of Recovery, and I got to talk to Shaggy Two Dope because I had bought VIP passes for the fact of uh, I just wanted to be able to talk to them and tell them what I was doing. And I got acceptance from both Violent J and Shaggy Two Dope on the subject. And ICP's been directly, and a lot of people in this community's been directly affected from addiction. ICP used to be four people, and two of the other people died of heroin overdose over the years. The amount of people addiction has affected in just the last five years is unbelievable. It, it's an epidemic across the world at this point. And one of my goals with Juggalos in Recovery is not just to focus on Juggalos, even though that's where it started, but because the juggalo community is based on acceptance and love of other people, especially the people who have been outcast their whole life and just been called weird and, you know, been bullied their whole life. My goal is to bring this group to accept everybody. And I will never turn anybody away. The group is, is filled with addicts, alcoholics, supporters, people, family and friends who have had loved ones pass away. I mean, it's filled of any type of people that just need help or want to help. If people just want help with personal growth at this point, like I'm not going to turn anybody away. If you need help, we're going to be there for you because that's what we're here for on this earth, in my opinion, is to be able to help other people. And AA, it's our 12 steps, spread the message to other alcoholics who need it. And I, all I've done is taken that 12 step and blown it up into a massive, massive rule in my life. And I'm just going to help people. And that's what I want to do. That's awesome, man. And I love that parallel between the Juggalo community and the recovery community, because that's one of the things that I found for me personally in my journey is I never really felt like I fit in, never felt like I belonged anywhere. And then I found the rooms and it was like, here here are my people. Here's, here's a group of people that accept me and love me and want to help me figure this thing out. So I think that's awesome that, that you're blending those two communities that have those similar values of love and acceptance and, and bringing everybody together. Yeah, it, it see, and that that's something I struggled with my whole life, especially I was when I was growing up because of my mother's mental illness, I was passed from family member to family member because my mother really couldn't take care of me. I just never felt like I belonged anywhere. And then I fell into the juggalo world and I was accepted. And then, you know, once I got sober and I fell into the AA rooms, I, it was another place where I felt accepted. That's, that's something I think every human deserves to feel is to be accepted for who they are. We don't need to have a facade of who we think other people want us to be and put that mask on every day. We deserve the right to be who we are and not be judged for it. Absolutely. And I also love that you're doing this at the festivals because one of the things that comes to my mind is some of these people 
might not feel accepted or might not have the courage to go to an AA meeting or an NA meeting or, you know, whatever recovery meeting. And by you having that as an option at the gathering, those people know that you're one of them. And so they feel more comfortable being able to, to come to that meeting and, and maybe for the first time hear about recovery. And man, that's, that's awesome. It's quite mind blowing to me. And last gathering was really powerful. We didn't have one this year because of the pandemic and everything, but in 2019, the gathering was a very, very powerful gathering for Juggalos and Recovery. Um, I had teamed up with uh, another nonprofit organization who helps out with the gathering, and they got me in early so I could set up and everything. And I helped, you know, set up booths, and I just I worked my ass off. And then uh, I ended up making friends with a few different people who believe in juggles and recovery and what we're capable of doing and we were able to push juggles and recovery up like five levels in three days like i was just kind of mingling and you know doing my best by myself and then i teamed up with the right people and all of a sudden you know we had a a lady show up at the meetings every day once she found out about us uh and she had 20 i believe 25 years sober and it was her first gathering she's a huge uh fan of the music she was going to the concerts and everything and she was a huge inspiration and still is for juggles and recovery because it it helps show the people who are just starting recovery or even me like having seven years of sobriety that you're capable of doing it and then we had one member who actually left the gathering because the temptation was too strong but instead of giving into that temptation he decided to leave the gathering because he'd want his recovery over being at the gathering and getting high and drunk Hmm. so those are just like two examples of how powerful just holding a meeting a day can help someone and just inspire other people yeah, absolutely, man. I think it's great what you're doing. I didn't really tell you much about my sobriety journey, did I? <laughs> I I'm very passionate about juggles and recovery, so if I get stuck on that topic, I tend to forget that I have, you know, a personal story to go along with it. So my downfall, my rock bottom, to keep it kind of short, I was camping with a uh, a girlfriend at the time. And I ended up blacked out drunk. I wasn't your normal, I drink every day alcoholic. I was a binge drinker. So I made a rule. Uh, I would only drink on non-school nights. So if I didn't have to work the next day, I was going to get drunk. And my goal on drinking nights was either to black out or pass out. There was no just kind of feeling a buzz or anything like that. I was going to either pass out or black out or both. And I always accomplish that and this night was no different it was fourth of july uh we watched the fireworks we went to the campsite started drinking i ended up blacking out i honestly don't know how much i had to drink this story is a mix between what the police report said what my ex-girlfriend said and a very little bit that i remember of the night from what i understand 
I had passed out in the back of my truck. I had a, a Chevy pickup and I had passed out in the back of my truck since we were camping. She tried to wake me up to go sleep in the tent so I wouldn't get eaten up by mosquitoes and such. And when she woke me up, I flipped out and I ended up throwing her around and ended up getting uh, putting bruises on her legs and stuff. Uh, I don't remember any of this. This is what I was told. And the bruises were pretty huge when I saw her a couple days later. The only part of this night I really remember is I was laying next to the fire that was still going. I was in my old combat boots with ripped jeans. And I remember looking at my truck and seeing her inside my truck. She had locked herself in my truck, screaming at me not to hurt her anymore. Apparently, earlier before that moment, I had taken her phone away from her, taken it apart and thrown it in the woods. And then um, when she had locked herself in my truck, she used my phone to call her mother. And her mother showed up, called the cops. I got in my truck and drove away. I don't remember leaving. I don't remember anything after that. When I woke up next to the fire and I saw her in my truck and the, the horror on her face, the fear on her face is burned into my memory. Um, and that's the last thing I remember until the cops pulled me over. And then according to the police report, the cops had stopped me once on the road that I was on. And once the cop got out of the car, I took off. So I get to there on this road. It comes to an uh, intersection to the main road in um, the town that I was living in. And my apartment was, you know, maybe a block away from this red light. But I had just ran away from the cops and I was sitting at this red light waiting for it to change. And all I wanted to do was get to my apartment and go to sleep. But I sat there at this red light. It took forever to change watching the cop lights come in getting closer to me in my rearview mirror um, by the time the green light came i turned on my road and the cops had caught up to me they pulled me over when i finally stopped they got out of their car drew their guns on me um, told me to put my hands out the window open the door from the outside walk backwards to them the whole nine yards put me in handcuffs and the first words out of my mouth was I'm drunk. I actually remember saying that. And then the next thing I remember is being in the, um, getting booked into county. I was going in and out of like a consciousness. It's like a brownout stage. I was partially black, blacking out, and then I'd come back and remember parts of it and stuff. I had stopped drinking about two a.m. and I took a breathalyzer at like four something in the morning and I blew a point one one four. And I weighed 140 pounds, so I had drank quite a bit of alcohol. I spent the next 42 hours in county jail trying to figure out how I was going to get out. My faith ignited in that jail cell. So, I mean, after I, you know, woke up, got woken up to eat lunch and stuff. During the process, I was trying to figure out how I was going to get out of jail. I had no money. I spent it all on alcohol and partying and stuff. 
I didn't have anybody's phone number. I didn't have my cell phone. I didn't know where anything was. Like, I didn't know how to do any of this. And one of the other inmates in the cell that I was in asked the cops to get my father's number offline. And they did. I ended up trying uh, trying to call him. I called him three or four times and he never picked up. He also did tell me that uh, if I ever ended up in jail, that I was on my own. He was never he was not going to help me if I did something to get in there, then I can figure a way out myself. And he stayed true to his word. So I was laying in my bunk trying to figure out how the hell I'm getting out of jail. Oh, I ended up getting arrested for speeding 98 and 55, of course, the DUI and domestic assault. Later on, both the speeding charge and the domestic assault charge ended up getting dropped, and I only had to deal with the DUI. And that was a blessing, um, of course, because I could have had a very different life if the domestic assault charge went through. But yeah, so I was laying in my bunk trying to figure out how I was going to get out of jail, and this phone number pops in my head. I had never heard, uh, never memorized this phone number. I mean, it's the cell phone age. The only phone number I've ever memorized is my old house number when I lived with my uh, adopted parents. And all of a sudden, this number pops in my head, and I know whose number it is. It was my grandmother's phone number, and she lives in Massachusetts, where I'm originally from. I have no idea how it got in, and my personal belief is that my higher power gave me the opportunity to get out of that jail cell because that's what his plan for me was, because there's no way I would have ever remembered that phone number because I had never memorized it before in my life. And I ended up calling her twice to um, set stories straight, tell her what had happened, whatever. And she ended up sending money to a friend of mine that was in the same town, and he ended up bailing me out with that money. And then when I got out, of course, I called my family and my friends and told them what had happened and everything. About a, a week and a half later, I was talking to my father, and he he talked me into going to AA. He told me to find go online, find a newcomer's meeting, and go to a newcomer's meeting. And that's what I did. And I went to uh, the newcomers meeting at Club Howe in Jacksonville, Illinois, and I was sober. Uh, I was it was mind blowing. I still remember that meeting. I remember how I felt in that meeting. In the very beginning of the meeting, they asked if there's any newcomers uh, who had never been to AA before. And so when they said that, I rose my hand, uh, and they ended up having a first step meeting for you know, the newcomer that just showed up and everybody went around the room and told them, told their story of their rock bottom and everything. And I felt like, oh, wow, I just heard all these stories. None of them are like mine, but I can relate to each and every one of them. And then it came to me and without hesitation, I said, my name's Frank, I'm an alcoholic. And I told him everything that I had just gone through in the last weekend, uh, last two weeks everything i didn't leave anything out and i was crying i remember this one lady who was there i remember how she was looking at me and it blew my mind she doesn't know me from anybody and she's sitting there staring at me with love and care in her eyes that i i saw very little of growing up this is a complete stranger and 
that one lady, the way she was looking at me, gave me hope that I can change. And the fact that, you know, everybody didn't judge me and didn't kick me out for the crappy things I had just done and all of this, they understood and they they were there to actually help me. And one of the guys in that first meeting actually ended up being my sponsor and still is my sponsor to this day. Um, he's now got 30-something years sober now, I think 32. For the next month and a half, I just pounded through the first nine steps. For me, I had to go through them as fast as I mentally and emotionally possibly could so I could understand them and use those tools during my life so I could continually grow. And even to this day, I still use the steps to solve problems that I have on a daily basis. I just have extra tools to go along with the steps. The things that I ended up finding out through my sobriety were, was amazing. One of the things I found figured out was a lot of my childhood at, at my adopted parents' house, a lot of how I acted was because I had felt like my mother abandoned me there. And that just ended up with me rebelling and not listening and lying and stealing and all this other stuff. And it was, it was mind-blowing to me that it took me, I think I figured this out, like as I, I hit my two-year sobriety mark, and it, it blew my mind that it took me that long to dig through all the rubble of my life beforehand to figure this out. And then from that moment on, I've just been doing everything I can do to just continue growing into a better person and you know, understanding other people and how the brain works and how the emotions work and how it all comes together and works as like I've tried. I'm doing everything in my power and reading books and taking classes and all kinds of stuff to figure out the best way to help other people. And in the process, I'm helping myself because I'm learning all of, all of these tools. That's quite a story for sure. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that ended up pushing me to my rock bottom and I always feel kind of weird saying this because it's, it's a very, positive twist on a very very horrible thing so i got sober july 5th of 2013 july 5th of 2012 um, was my mother's memorial service uh, she had died at age 45 on june 21st and her passing away was sent what sent me into a downward spiral that's the the bad part of it the good side of that is the fact that if she didn't pass it away, I would probably still be drinking to this day because the people that I've lost since she's passed away has not accumulated to the pain I felt when I lost my mother. So now it's a blessing, literally a blessing in disguise that my mother passed away because it got me to the point to where I am today. And I am truly thankful that I'm able to be sober. And I know my spiritual understanding of the universe is very small, but I, I feel like I get signs from her on a very constant basis that I'm on the right path. And if I ever dealt that I'm on the right path, I usually get a sign from her saying, basically saying, hey, you're doing good. Keep on the road that you're going.
but it's it, it was very hard to admit that it was a good thing that my mother passed away because that's what led for me to get sober the honest truth is that's exactly what happened my mother dying led me to get sober i can't even imagine what that's like man that's that's tough if you'd like, usually at the end, I I, li- I give the guests just the open floor, let them talk about whatever. Um, if you want to plug Juggalos in Recovery or whatever's on your heart, man. If you want to get in touch with Juggalos in Recovery, just go to jugglosinrecovery.com. All of our social media is linked on there. If you need any help, we've got uh, any anonymous group that I could think of to put on there. There's helpful links. There's... 12 steps, 12 traditions of juggles and recovery. There's music um, translations of ICP for recovery. Uh, if you want to just shout out to us and ask for help, we'll be more than happy to help you. Don't forget that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with in your life, that everything that you have dealt with and going through is happening for a reason and you can make it through it. Man, that's a great message. Frank, thank you again for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Brett. Frank, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us and telling us about Juggalos and Recovery. If you'd like to find out more about Juggalos and Recovery, the information will be in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.